You are listening to a White Phosphorus Pictures podcast. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. As part of my penance, I have been sent to warn you. And so you have. And to offer you a hope and chance of escaping my fate, you will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits? Is that the chance and hope you mention? It is. Well, in that case, I, I think I'd rather not. Expect the first tonight. When the bell tolls one. Couldn't they all come at the same time, Jacob, and have it over? Expect the second on the stroke of two. The third, more mercurial, shall appear in his own good time. That was a scene from the 1982 adaptation of Charles Dickens' classic ghost story, A Christmas Carol. The character of Ebenezer Scrooge is confronted by the condemned specter of his business partner, Jacob Marley, with a dire warning from beyond the grave. This is perhaps the greatest ghost story ever told. Christmas, for many, is a religious observance, a time of peace, well wishes, and family. But underneath its surface is a variety of historical traditions still practiced in our modern times that are actually derived from a collection of folk tales and legends of a macabre nature. Tonight, we celebrate the darker side of the holidays and all its spooky traditions with an authentic witch. I'll return after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the Off to the Witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series, Off to the Witch Presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary, Montauk Chronicles. And follow us on social media all links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in 
Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. To the Witch, I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guest, Krista Brown, is an authentic practicing witch. Have a listen to our previous episode, number 23, titled The Craft, for Krista's personal history. But tonight, I decided to discuss the many arcane and often overlooked traditions of this winter holiday. As a great deal of the population might not know, the ghoulish origins of their seemingly benign Christmas rituals. So here's my interview with Krista Brown. Very often when we would be decorating things for Christmas, you know, we'd find old ornaments that were remnants of something that had been passed down from her mother and her mother before her. Um, This was the time when mom would regale me with some of the the spookier sides of of what was going on during the Christmas season. So, um, you know what, I don't really have like a, a specific story. It was more of a a general feeling of the appreciation of ghosts and, you know, some of the, the macabre things go on in the darkness, more of an appreciation for those kinds of things. Um, you know, making it a more uh, logical or maybe a more realistic relationship than when a lot of others like to believe you know um and i'm not sure if that was from her her background or what so when you were a little kid were you exposed to let's say because i was a very little kid my one of my mother's favorite movies was i think the alistair sims um christmas carol adaptation because there were many and of course that's a fantastic ghost story and a kid who like myself who was just obsessed with horror I had all of those things at once and Christmas time was a bit of a collection because you've got this Christmas movie that 
is is scary at times, especially with the ghost of Christmas Future and Jacob Marley's character. You know, those that was my intro, and there's there was this other side to Christmas, and then of course a slew of Christmas horror movies that were. Some of them were so offensive that like, I think they were just trying to shatter the the paradigm of people who adhered to uh, all that Christmas music in department stores. Who knows if that was a backlash, but mm-hmm. what was your perspective on all of that? Uh, when I was a kid, I loved Christmas stories. I loved anything that had to do with uh, you know the lightness and brightness of the season, but then I was also attracted to anything that had to do with... Um, death, dying, you know, and so the scene, like you're mentioning about the ghost of Christmas future, when they're standing in the cemetery, and he's looking at his own tombstone, I always thought that that was ridiculously scary. Basically, I would argue that horror and Christmas, or the celebrations that you have at this time of year are, are so entwined on almost uh, an origin level or a molecular level. I don't see how you could have the brightness of this season and not have horror. Uh, but it was it was a holiday to celebrate the end of the growing season. You toiled all year long. Finally, you were at the end of the season. You had pulled in all your harvest. You had processed all of your your stores to make it through the winter, and you could have a celebration. Hey, we made it. We've been successful. You know, let's have a party. Let's enjoy the fruits of our labors, literally. But the backside of that story is one of of um, human fear, uh, the deepest kind of fear, which is if you didn't harvest enough, if you didn't process enough, if whatever you had at the end of the growing season, that was all you were going to have for the entirety of winter until the new season arose for um, you know, spring and the emergence of the animals from hibernation and getting back into the growing season again. So if you didn't have enough, then it called into question your own personal survival, maybe the survival of your family or indeed your community. And so the roots of fear and terror, I think, really stem from the the ancient peoples who they had this very real sense of we might not live to see a new day. And going forward from that, um, knowing that that was truth, people wanted to make merriment. They wanted to celebrate life in that moment while they had it. Maybe they had a plethora of food. Maybe they had extra stores of grain or they were able to raise new buildings and they had a surplus of, of wood and, all right, let's have a party and we'll have a bonfire and we'll have a feast and we'll celebrate the the joy of living. And that, I think, as much as anything, is what translates into present day holiday observations, whether you are Christian or pagan or Jewish or a multitude of others. um, this This is very inherent into what we get into this time of year. Well, it seems it seems like an extension of what we now know as Halloween. My question is, what origin does the Christmas aesthetics have? You know, these are all really interesting things to me. And then what connection to 
uh, pagan ideas does some of the traditions that we celebrate in the popularized version of Christmas have to do with like where does the tree come from you know these are things I'm just very curious of so so the gathering of mistletoe and the harvesting of, of evergreen trees uh, comes from the ancient druids they would go out into the forest to gather greenery on white cloths to protect it from touching the ground because it was sacred it was brought to their sacred temples or their sacred places for display because of its you know its beauty but also because of uh, the sacredness that was ascribed to those herbs, um, and and pine trees, you know, there are old tree gods in in the trees, and that's why Celts have a tree calendar, you know, where the months of the year are actually named after trees um, rather than have other kinds of names, and I think a lot of the the other symbolics, you know, the sun. Uh, represented in citrus fruit or in the colors of red and green, you know, because those are the, the, the richest, robust colors from summer. And it's so funny to me when, when people say, oh, you know, Christmas is all about Christmas trees and decorating. Going, well, you realize that when you're bringing a tree into your home, that's a very ancient pagan symbol that you are you know, willfully putting up in your living room and inviting your friends to come help decorate and, and, and observe. Um, and I think the, the spirit of, of Santa Claus has a lot of diverse background. It seems to me, uh, because I'm, I don't know specifically, um, but there's a version of Santa Claus in many different cultures the world over, whether you're talking about Asia, you're talking about, uh, you know, Russia, you're talking about France, you're talking about multitudes of variations or, or characteristics of the same sort of persona, um, a benevolent spirit who visits with gifts, as I, I think it has to do with sharing the richness of the season of the harvest. There again, we get into things like talking about Krampus. It seems like Krampus is an evil version of Santa Claus. Was that always the case or did we alter it for, you know, the modern display? No, the way I understand it is the origin is, is sort of like a, uh, a corrective spirit. You know, the antithesis of Santa Claus, where Santa Claus was going to reward you for good behavior, you know, in order to keep the children in line, we needed something to to say in order to scare them into proper behavior. And I think probably originally uh, it was just a means of doing just that. I don't know that it necessarily had any malevolent meaning behind it. Um, Apart from you best behave yourself or Krampus will get you and he'll throw you in his basket and he'll take you away. And if you expect that to not happen, then you, you should, as my grandmother would say, straighten up and fly right. But you know, these days, these days, I think, I think people embrace Krampus because it has sort of this dark underbelly. It has this this reputation of being evil. But I don't, I don't necessarily see him as being evil. I see him as being the the the, the righteous punishment for those who, you know, don't behave you know oh you miscreant yeah well i'm gonna toss you in the basket and he's gonna he's gonna carry you off um 
And I think people like that. I think they like being part of something that is not well understood, that is not widely accepted, although it seems to be coming more and more widely accepted with every passing year. Um, something that is very pagan in contrast to the Judeo-Christian society that we have in this country. Um, they want to be part of something that's a little darker, a little more mysterious, and and perhaps even a shade malevolent. So some people believe that there is a nefarious plot in terms of all of these things being put into pop culture, whether it be the corrupt you know, sleaze version of Santa Claus in Silent Night, Deadly Night, the murderous, you know, grindhouse version of a killer in a Santa Claus suit, or um, the idea of everyone celebrating something like Krampus. They, they truly believe that it's, you know, the Antichrist in a way, you know, manifest, and it's slowly corrupting the minds of everybody and... um you know, it's a problem. What, how do you feel about that? And, and try to hold back any initial bias and just kind of meditate on it for a second for me and tell me what you're feeling from that. I think it's unfortunate that people feel that way because I never looked at, I've never really looked at the existence of Krampus or Santa Claus for that matter as being related to Jesus Christ. I have never looked at um, the belief in, in those spirits to be on the same level as, you know, the, the, the root of Christian worship at this time of year. I've always looked at them as being two completely different things that you, you wouldn't need one to have the other. You could have both. I've met several people over time, whether they be devoutly religious or not, they're more their their ideology is more towards the conspiratorial realm that there is some kind of conspiracy that horror okay in culture is there on purpose it's a gateway to allow bad things into your life which i completely disagree because i've had nothing but comfort from these things sure sure um i don't know i feel i feel about it the same way that i feel about the notion that dungeons and dragons and heavy metal music are what caused you know, children in the eighties become uh, Satan worshipers. I have, I have a, I have a real distinct difficulty with that. Right. Do you, but do you believe oh. that there, there are evil spirits? I, I believe that there are definitely spirits that mean harm. I, I don't know that I believe completely in demons in the presence of, of purely negative uh, entities like that. I believe in negative energy. I believe that anything can be uh, morphed into something deadly or, or, or evil. I would say that the very fact that those kinds of films exist are, are just, they're a reflection of humankind. You know, topics I really wanted to cover in this were obviously the history, how, how these things affect a holiday over time, the evolution of a holiday, because what 
Christmas was when I was a child is different now. There are certain things and elements brought into pop culture, like we were just talking about Krampus, stuff like that. I mean, there were no Krampus festivals in the U.S. in the early 80s that I knew of. I didn't even know what Krampus was. Uh, most people didn't. Now that's in pop culture. Expression dictates that new forms of, of religion or practices are going to erupt and people are going to gravitate strongly to that, to winter solstice practices and rituals, to Krampus night, to um, alternative you know, Christmas practices. I belong to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Augusta, Georgia. And every year they have a blue Christmas ceremony. And it is for people who wish to acknowledge that Christmas is not always a happy occasion. It's not always the bells and whistles, the gifts, the trees, the candy, the chocolates, the Santa Clauses. It's nothing to do with that. It can be a shutting down. It can be a depression and not just a mental health depression, but a depression of energy, a depression of thought, or a sort of turning inward, a drawing down, and that that's okay. And we are finally acknowledging and giving credence to the idea that we don't have to be happy all the time. And even though it's Christmas, and even though it's a, it's typically a joyous time of year, you know, whether you practice Christmas or Yule or Hanukkah, you might not feel like it. You might go through the motions and that's okay. Right. So what you're talking about, I just wanted to speak in this while it's on the tip of my tongue. So that is not anything new and that, that type of seasonal depression. Do you think that type of seasonal depression in some artists outside of making exploitation stuff for money and probably having a laugh about it, like a movie like Silent Night, Deadly Night, where there's a... Uh, you know, a mentally disturbed guy who dresses up as Santa Claus killing people and the backstory you can find out for yourself. But that type of thing was a reaction, I think, to the pressure of the season for you to be so festive. You know, you're bombarded by this, the same Christmas music over and over and over again. Every department store, every time you go out, it's the same decorations. It's the same thing over and over. Some people love that. You know, I love certain aspects of it. Always have since I was a kid. Others are curiously uh, subverting your happiness. You know what I mean? It's not, um, it's not exactly perfect. And so why is it that this response of horror gives people great joy? You know, is it their kind of revenge on this oddly subversive holiday, you know, because it's supposed to make you feel good, but a lot of people are severely depressed and it's not just because it's winter time, you know, um, somehow this season and this holiday depresses people. So as a reaction, they celebrate the fact that, uh, you know, we've turned this into an offensive horror. I mean, I think Silent Night, Deadly Night made a lot of money when it came out. You know, people celebrate this stuff to this moment. Do you think that that's a reaction to the depression that people feel around Christmas? It, it may be. I, th I think it has more to do with it being a release. That you can be poisoned by negative energy, but you can also be overcome and almost sickened by positive energy. You know, uh, you're off balance. Maybe 
people that enjoy, you know, some of the, the gloomier, darker, more malevolent aspects are, are, are just, it's a way of bringing themselves back to center. That's how I usually think of it. Um, are you, you're supposed to be positive this time of year because it's supposed to be a joyous celebration, which is great as long as you have something to celebrate, you know, um, that's not always true. And I, I think that's reality. Um, it's an unfortunate reality in many cases, but I, I think that the creation of those pieces of work are, are really a message of saying, you know, I had to get away from all that toxic positivity. I needed something that was a little more uh, acknowledging that life is not clean and fresh and pretty all the time, that there's a dark underbelly, there's a current under there uh, that nobody wants to look at, but it's always there. And I think, I think it happens particularly with Christmas because they want to maybe take something that's so lovely and so cherished and so positive and corrupt it into something that is the antithesis of all those things as sort of a way of saying, uh, you know, screw you, you know, the happy pretty is not how everyone lives. And well, what if someone tells you what, on the other note, someone turns around and calls you a Scrooge. Rod Serling made an episode of, uh, the twilight zone called Night of the Meek. I think the message in there essentially is what truly Christmas should be. And that was coming from Serling himself, um, which it's not about how much you can spend. And it's not about who has the most expensive gifts or the most lavish party. It's, it's the true root of what we know this time of season is, is supposed to mean. It's peace on earth, you know, goodwill towards men and women, you know, everybody. Um, and essentially I have nothing to knock on that one. I, I think that that's the way people should be total ceasefire, right? But I know some Christmas horror stories that are real, um, that I've seen in life that are more horrific than any of these films. I mean, there are people that you, you know, Santa Claus running around with an ax. There are people that kill their whole families on Christmas night. And what is the... Maybe there is something nefarious behind it, you know, whereas they suggest there's something nefarious behind horror films. It seems like there's something even more nefarious hiding in the sheepish clothing of the season sometimes in some cases, because how could this stuff be if it's such a beautiful moment? And for some people, it is, you know, it's definitely more tragic because it happens during Christmas. Right. I mean, if you if you paint a tragedy against the backdrop of, you know, a July night. Okay. But if you paint it against the tapestry of Christmas, it's all that much more devastating because of that, that, that contrast of, of the dark, the sinister against the brightness, the, the, the magic that is supposed to be Christmas or that's supposed to be this time of year with Yule. You know, um, now what are the, what are the roots of Yule? So Yule is, is, uh, a Germanic practice. Um, and it is largely, uh, connected to the winter solstice, which this year is December 22nd. 
It is the uh, point where the sun's uh, appearance over the horizon is at its lowest point. So, of course, the days are the shortest, the nights are the longest, and as an effect of that, probably the coldest, especially here in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's the time of year where you have the drawing down of the growing season into what has become uh, the darkest night of the year. The days have been progressively losing light since the summer solstice. So we are at the exact opposite point from June when the sun was highest. Um, And symbolically, it is the night when the Holly King will abdicate his throne to the Oak King. Um, The ascension of the Oak King as uh, the all power will um, happen as a result of the winter solstice. From that point forward, the days will begin to lengthen and will gain minutes of sunlight every day until we reach the summer solstice. Right. There's something I wanted to ask you too. There is now it's really weird because, you know, it has all these characters. They're, they're dark, almost monstrous sometimes, especially the Krampus type character, but something now I had heard something about the log that it's supposed to ward off evil spirits and keep monsters out of the house. Is that like, you know, for the Yule log, the, you know, that thing that burns every year since I was a kid all night long, there is, there is a darker, uh, you know, more synonymous with monster movies than Christmas uh, in regard to that log. And I never knew that until recent. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the the wolf bane of of Christmas, you know, instead of warding off werewolves, you know, you're, you're, you're warding off the bad spirits, the bad energy, which it's said that if you don't burn something that's at least relatable to the Yule log, then you'll have nothing but bad luck because you're inviting basically bad spirits into your home. So yeah, everybody run out and get a Yule log. Interesting. Well, maybe that's why. Yeah. Now, and again, I'm not pressing on this. I'm just curious. I asked a few different ways. I'm going to ask one more. Do you think there is some kind of nefarious energy this time of year for whatever reason, whatever its origins are? Whatever its source is, what, why, why is there a negative around the holidays? And you could say, well, people are missing their families, or they don't have a family, or don't have money. It's the pressures of this and that, all the human stuff that gets to you. But do you, is there anything else that it could be that we're not paying attention to that might cause this negative wave around the holidays for people? Well, I always just liken it to. It's dark out. Who knows what lives in the darkness? You know, I happen to live next to a lot of woods. And I know that I don't go out after dark anymore. Now that it's dark at night. Um, after the sunset, I won't have anything to do with at least the backyard of my house. Why is that? Are there, are there you know, vicious animals out there? Well, I, I've heard voices. Um, oh, animals. you have to tell me more about this. <laughs> Because you know, uh, right now yeah. I am I am fully convinced that uh, the the Christmas season, as we call it, is definitely an extension of Halloween. For me, it is now. Well, yeah, I mean, 
I think of it as, as like uh, at Samhain or Halloween, you have the thinning of the veil where, the, you know, the membrane between the living and the dead is so thin that ghosts are said to be able to traverse it with ease. And that's why you have an increase in spectral activity. I personally believe, uh, and I incorporate this into um, my practice, that at this time of year, because there is such a prevalence of darkness over light, that there's a greater tendency for the things that are unseen to encroach on unsuspecting individuals, you know, your animals, your family. Um, if something's going to go ha- if something's going to go bump in the night, it's it's probably going to be this time of year um, because how are you going to see it coming? And I've I've already been outside um, in in previous winter winters, um, you know, doing a, a small ritual, and uh, I've I've had to cut it short because I got spooked by voices that I heard in the woods from behind my house, and sometimes. I was pretty sure the voices were animal and then other times not so sure. So I don't, I don't really take chances anymore. Can you take me, all right, take me to that night and set me up slowly for what you experienced. Bring, bring me there. What were you doing before? And then take me to the moment that you heard it. And if you can describe it in detail. I head out back, um, with a few candles in tow and various things that go with that. Um, Because I have a custom of during the winter solstice, I go out and I sing to the stars. The difficulty was they put up a new light post out front. And so there's a lot of light pollution. So I decided on this particular occasion, I was going to pack up my supplies and I was going to go out towards the woods where there wouldn't be as much street light. And, uh, you know, was doing all right. Went out with my flashlight, get everything out to where I wanted to stop in the middle of the woods. And there was sort of a small clearing or so where it had been a couple of trees had died and they had been cleared away that previous summer. And, uh, I set everything up. I light the candle, turn off the flashlight, and you just have this immense stillness settle around you. Uh, it's cold. It's dark. Uh, it's probably nine or ten o'clock at night. And uh, it was a fairly clear night. You could see some stars, but it definitely wasn't quite what I had hoped it would be for uh, observing stars. And I settle myself and. I say a silent prayer and I start to invoke um, protective guardian spirits to watch over me as, you know, I'm clearly solitary in the middle of nowhere. And um, I start to sing and the phrasing is such that there was a long pause And I hear sort of out to my right, out a considerable distance, probably, I don't know, a couple of yards or so, um, this sort of, I don't know, a yelp or 
uh, a, a low sort of whine. It wasn't a bark. And it didn't sound like an animal. It, it almost sounded like a woman. Um, but the pitch was such that it would sort of be high pitched and then descend into lower tones. And I was pretty sure that I was listening to a fox or a bobcat or, or something else of that. So after I had paused to listen, I started singing again. And a few moments later, I, I heard that same sort of bark or chirp or it was just, you know, a short utterance. And I stopped to listen and became convinced that every time I heard it from that point forward, the sound was moving. And I decided that I, that was enough for me. I, I didn't need to hear a single syllable more. I could be done with this. So I packed up my things and I got out of there, not knowing really what direction the sound was coming from, uh, only that it was moving and it sounded like it may be coming closer to me. Which is very unfortunate because, you know, I, I got out of there and I got back to the house and I'm going, what the hell was that? Um, I, I don't want to be that person who gets spooked by every little thing that goes bump in the night, but, you know, I wasn't going to stick around to find out what it was. You know, I was massively upset with myself. You know, you're supposed to be this big bad witch in the middle of the woods and getting all upset because you heard something. I don't know that something wasn't coming to eat me. So I, I'm happy to have just left it behind. Well, what, what do you think that was? And be fearless. You can tell me exactly what you thought it was. What I think it was or what I tell myself that it was. <laughs> Well, both. Uh, let's start with what you think it was. I, I, I think it was. It had to have been um, uh, a fox or uh, a, a lion, like a like a mountain lion, like a bobcat or something like that. I've talked to different people in the area that know something about um, the animal populations that live here. Neither of them. Uh, will tell me that, it, that there's any sort of wild cat that actually lives in this area. I think I know differently, but anyway, so I'll, I'm going to tell myself that it was probably a fox. Um, but then of course, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about tree spirits. I'm thinking about ghosts. I'm thinking about, you know, my mind automatically goes to uh, tales of the Wendigo, where you hear voices in the woods. And if you ever hear a voice call your name when you're in the middle of the woods, you turn around and run. Um, that's this sort of, of perception that I had when I was standing there. Now, whether that was my imagination running away with itself, I don't know. Um, I just know enough of the area that I live in that I wasn't going to mess with that. And uh, I... I prefer to think that it was something of the natural realm but this little place in my brain scratches the notion that it wasn't it wasn't from here it wasn't from here i was in the middle of the woods at night in the dark conjuring up spirits you can't tell me that there wasn't some sort of supernatural element at work there 
We'll be right back. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it? What would you tell them? I did approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Black Christmas. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Hello? <laughs> what are you doing? Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. Starring Olivia Hussey, Kid Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. That wouldn't be the first encounter you've had when you were conjuring spirits, correct? That's right. That's right. Um, and and so it's 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 more comfortable for me to think about it in terms of something that my mind can rationalize. But 
I, I can't ignore the other feeling. See, this is an odd time because, um, you know, I grew up with so many different types of creatures in fiction. We all did. And I would say in my re- in recent two years, more so than ever, I've ran into many adults seemingly sound-minded, as far as I can see, uh, who claim they have encountered many of the things that I grew up and we all grew up seeing in movies or reading in books or in song or whatever. I mean, the the, the spectrum of fiction uh, that they insist are real. And if the Wendigo could be real and you believe it could be real in the sense that it really is this entity out there, is it possible that um, things like Krampus could be real, that it's not just a story, that perhaps it came from something? Are there? Do you believe that these are their origins of these tales could come from something real? Absolutely. I mean, every tale has some sort of deeper meaning. You know, in in a time where oral storytelling was the only way to pass information from population to population or down through generations. I, I think that there is, is a, a kernel of truth that somewhere still has to exist, even though it's, it's evolved into, you know, many different layers of, of uh, coloration, you know, from, from the time of its inception. But I think, I think there has to be something like uh, an origin story of, you know, maybe, maybe a creature that, knew when children were being naughty and came from another place in another, another dimension and stole them away because they were so bad, you know, or, or maybe it has to do with, with something like, um, uh, you know, a small child being taken in the night by a malevolent spirit or, uh, you know, a, a sick animal or something. And, and the way that people, adopted that into their culture as, as a cautionary tale was to say that, you know, this is what happened and this is why. And then people embellished it over the years and maybe that's how it evolved into something more, uh, more concrete or more, more colorful or, or something. But I think, I think that there is an unexplained element to it. Um, that people needed to rationalize. And so it's, it's taken on its own life. Um, but, but there may be something to it where, uh, a creature has been, you know, in, in the humanity's history for, for many years and now wears a Santa Claus outfit and wears bells and has hickory switches and a basket. And will take you away if you step out of line. If you were to put it in perspective, if we go down this checklist of things that people for many years, including right now, have celebrated that they don't realize the origins of. Everything from the mistletoe to the Yule log to Santa's colors and his outfit to all of these things come from essentially monster stories, which is weird. Because a lot of people don't realize it, you know, they don't realize 
all of these traditions come from something else. And they've evolved now and they'll continue to evolve. But like you had said earlier, it seems like it's circling back because of now Krampus coming back into not just Germanic culture, but here in the United States and all over the world because of pop culture. Um, I've had a very similar discussion about Halloween, and, I, and a lot of that has to do with the philosophy of of my new documentary, A Haunting We Will Go. Uh, down the road, I'd love to do one of, about Christmas. It'd be fantastic. Uh, I'm actually inspired by this conversation to do it. So, um, But if you could go down that checklist a little bit uh, as a review of the things we talked about, could could you go through that for me? Where do you want me to start? Let's see. Uh, the Christmas tree, the Yule log, uh, mistletoe, anything that you want to point out that came from something else that has now been solidified into, let's say, the hallmark version of Christmas. Well, let's start with uh, the greenery. Yeah, the greenery, whether you're talking about evergreens, or you're talking about mistletoe. Um, I think there's also a story about poinsettias where the, the, the colors and, and the textures um, that are, are so prevalent in, in modern practices of you know, Christmas tide and Christmas traditions uh, have a lot of pagan origin, um, bringing those various elements into the house because of their perceived um, herbal benefits or because it was seen as sacred uh, like the Druids with the mistletoe, bringing such items into the home or into the place of worship was considered sanctifying. It would be a, a place of, of uh, great positivity or connectivity to the divine to have those kinds of things in your presence. And whether you're talking about the light and the brightness, or you're talking about Krampus and sort of the darker undercurrents of uh, the human condition and the things that, that, that came about as a result of, of cautionary tales of warning against bad behavior or warning that you have to be cautious of the things that go bump in the night because you never know what might be waiting around the corner for you. And people needing to reach for that needing to feel that they have a connection to not only present day life, but also ancient practices reach now back for Krampus as a sort of reminder of, of the yin and yang of life that we are brightness and we are light, but we are also sometimes maleficent and we have this natural tendency to be deceptive or at least not on the level, if not evil or, or, you know, doing harm, but it's, it's, it's two sides of the same persona. It's moving into a celebration of the light and the joyfulness and the harvest that necessitates having the remembrance of when you had so little or when you had nothing or when you had to beg, borrow, and steal, or anything else that has to do with, with sort of not observing the light. And I think that that makes Christmas and, and Christmas tide, Yule, even Hanukkah, all the brighter. You know, maybe even Hanukkah 
in particular, because it was eight nights of, of light where there would have been only oil for one night. And you beat out the darkness by such a small amount of oil. And isn't that what we're doing right now? We are trying to drive back the darkness by actually reaching into horror, reaching into Krampus, Krampus night activities, um, horror Christmas themed attractions so that we're reminded of, of the dark and the light because that's nature. Nature is bright, but it's also darkness. And I think that that's inherent in, in all of us to reach for that and to understand that. I, I, I find that I just, I just get really excited about scary Christmas movies more so than anything else. And I don't know. It's because it's, they're more dynamic, I think. You oh know, yeah. Well, we, okay. <laughs> so before we go, what are some of your favorite scary Christmas themed movies? Oh, well, first and foremost, forever will be gremlins. I will never watch. I will never not watch gremlins at Christmas. I probably watch it a few times actually. Uh, and then I, I have to watch a version of a Christmas Carol and I don't have a particular bent towards anyone. And um, I like them all. I think I, I appreciate the one with George C. Scott the most. Uh, yeah, I love that one too. I like the one with Albert Finney, but the yeah. one with the one with Bill Murray isn't so bad. Oh right, yeah, Scrooge. You gotta <laughs> mm-hmm. love Scrooge. Um, and you know, five year old me is gonna tell you Michael Caine, Michael Caine and the Muppets, all the way, man. See, I'm but, not as familiar with that one, oh, but I oh, love yeah. that story. Oh, very much so. I like the one with Jim Carrey that um, uh, Robert Zemeckis did. I think Tim Burton would make a fantastic one. <laughs> yeah, I think that could be really interesting. Sure. Oddly enough, he hasn't approached it. And of course, Ebenezer Scrooge, Johnny Depp should play him. I don't, you know, maybe he's waiting or he just has no interest in the story, but I can't imagine he doesn't have an interest in that story. One in particular I wanted to mention was an episode of the HBO series adaptation of the EC comics, Tales from the Crypt. And it was a story that actually originates in those comics from the 50s called And All Through the House. And once again, it was about another escaped Santa lunatic. Um, But when I saw that, when it came out on cable, when I was a kid, it freaked me out. It was fantastic. It's so interesting. You know, we think about all the, all the remembrances of Christmas and of all the Christmas memories. What do I, what do I pull forward? The scary stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's more enjoyable that way. I don't know why. Hey, listen, not even low key Christmas movie, The Shining. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. What a wonderful Christmas film. Come on now. Um, I, I was actually thinking about, I was thinking about Christmas in terms of The Shining. Um, because of okay so let me let me back way up i had a conversation with somebody on a forum about how they couldn't find a movie that was scary enough for them and i keep trying to tell people it's because you're trying too hard you need to get yourself in a different mindset it's it's not going to be something you you're looking for you're watching horror but what you want is terror what you want is the deep-seated psychological fear of isolation 
deprivation, um, survival, because those, those are the, the chief things that, that you should worry about as a living, breathing organism. You know, is there enough for me to get through the next 24 hours? And, and they're looking at, you know, jump scares and they're looking at creepy crawly things under the bed. And I'm going, you guys are, you're not doing this right. You need to worry about, um, the sense of isolation of being cut off from the rest of humanity. And I'm thinking of the shining with uh, Barry Nelson's character saying, you know, they, they called it cabin fever, claustrophobic reaction that occurs when people are penned up together for long periods of time. I'm going, that is terror that when you, when you settle down with that thought about being away from anybody, anybody that can help you, Maybe you're going to survive. Maybe you're not. You're cut off. You know, that's that's where the real scares come from. It's wondering if you're going to make it. Um, and and I, I don't think I have anybody biting on this line just yet. I keep trying to tell them, you know. No, that, you're 100% on point. Um, yeah, like like they're going, well, I, I, I've watched every movie there is and nothing scares me anymore. Is it because you are so desensitized and your threshold your threshold for scare is set so high that you're you're looking for something that's like instantly gratifying but what you don't realize is when you didn't know any better then these these sort of slow burn psychologically scarring uh this torment that you get from these existential questions are far far more terrifying than you get from the boogeyman jumping out at the closet with a butcher knife, you know, come on. You've got to think of it in terms of, of the things that go bump in the night or, you know, like, like I love to watch the thing at Christmas time. Oh, another great Christmas movie. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the whistling wind, you know, it's that light bulb. Did you ever see the motion picture? um, The entity with Barbara Hershey. Okay, so it's after the first night that she's attacked by this unseen force. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, terrifying movie, but and it's a true story. And so she's falling asleep that night, and the, one of the scariest moments in that movie is literally she's laying in bed and she's dozing off, and the light bulb inside the lamp near her bed while the whistling wind is blowing, glows on and then glows down and off. And it's like, you know that thing is there and that's what it was. That was the energy affecting the light. But it was so damn creepy, especially for a little kid that saw it. I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know? Oh, definitely. When I was a kid, I read, um, I read Communion. And the initial goings on happen at Christmas time when they are in the cabin. Um, Whitley Strieber right. and his family are in the cabin. It's just after Christmas when all of the, the extraterrestrial sort of contact starts to happen. You know, they're in this isolated place. It's cold. There's a lot of snow. You have all these, these clear sparkling skies and you have visitors from another plane, another dimension, another planet. Huh. <laughs> that's the best kind of scare. You know, it's that isolation factor. It's that you're not going to be helped. 
There, there's no one coming to rescue you. You are having to deal with this all on your own. And maybe you'll make it and maybe you won't. But I remember cowering in the covers of my bed as I read this. And, and I, I felt that way about it ever since. I am, uh, I'm certainly inspired to do if, you know, my whole idea with a haunted, we will go is to like make the ultimate documentary about Halloween ghost stories all in one, the best I could ever imagine. But I, ha- I am certainly inspired to do a sequel, and it would be about the horrors of the holiday season, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to start piecing that together for I sure. Mean, especially with paganism, you get a, a direct connection between the living and the dead. You, you, can't have, you, you can't have it where there's only one or the other. Everything is, is so um, inextricably sort of connected you have you have the birth and the death you have the rebirth you have the the reincarnation or you have out of out of death comes life i mean that's that's what nature is you have the old growth that dies that withers that decays and in the springtime you have fertile soil for the new seeds to germinate so you you always have this this interconnection between living and dying and living and dying and and even even in the springtime, when you have the new animals giving birth, there's blood with birth. There's you know the the, the raising of the animals, and then there's the slaughter at uh, the third harvest, you know, and getting ready for the winter and the death and the dying that is inherent in winter. I mean, you, I I look on horror as being reflective of just what's in nature, and 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 nature is is loving and cruel and it's it's benevolent and it it you you have growth and then you have death and you cannot break that cycle those things are they are part of each other and i think that's that's what makes it beautiful about horror at christmas time is that it's the backdrop of one on the other is so dramatic that it harkens you back to to what happens in the natural world. So I just, I have a greater appreciation of horror when it's Christmas. Sure. And there's, and it seems like a lot of the traditions kind of played havoc with these origin stories we talked about tonight, which are horror, you know, type stories. For instance, Santa coming down the chimney. Was that connected to Yule? In a way? Cause you know, if you're burning the Yule log to keep the monsters from coming down the chimney, why is Santa coming down the chimney? Right, right. Furthermore, if you don't have a chimney, how is Santa going to get in your house? Exactly. I often wonder that one. He's like, breaking and entering. <laughs> He's going to break else? in like Larry Drake in the Tales from the Crypt <laughs> episode or uh, <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night. What a sleazy right. movie that is. He's got a crowbar and a Slim Jim and uh, <laughs> get in the house. I we expect to see many more. Okay, so to lead us out of this awesome episode, um, to lead us out, tell me about the significance of the transition that Ebenezer Scrooge goes through in Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol story. It could be any adaptation if you want to refer to it, but in general, can a corrupt, greedy bastard become kind and good? by facing his uh, inevitable death. You know, Ebenezer Scrooge, I think, was very fortunate in that 
he was able to come from a place of darkness into a place of light. I think in the very end, he was able to appreciate the bountiful uh, wonderfulness of, of Christmas and the celebration and the joy because he had seen his mortality. And he understood that death is a, is a part of life and that's where we're all heading and nobody gets out of it alive. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that he needed to have the progression in the visitation from the ghosts from ones that were joyous to ones that were a little more somber to ones that were all out dark and almost hideous in texture and color and feel in order to get him to that place of humanity and, and reaching for his, his fellow human beings and being able to share what he had with others. And I, I think that if he hadn't had such a deep scare with the ghost of Christmas future, he wouldn't have gotten there. It needed to be the shock value of, of seeing death and being nearly touched by death and barely escaping from death that brought him to the understanding of, you know, make light of life while you have it because you never know when you won't. So, and then they pull the damask curtains closed on you and throw some dirt on you and you're all done. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining us tonight. For all the fascinating origins that have evolved over the years in regard to Christmas, I enjoy one aspect the most. It's the message of reflection in one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes titled Night of the Meek. Have a listen to the final scene. For you this Christmas. Well, I think I've had the nicest Christmas since the beginning of time. Nothing for you, nothing for yourself, not a thing. You know, I... I can't think of anything I want. I guess what I really wanted is... to be the biggest gift giver of all times. And in a way, I think I had that tonight. Although if I had my choice of any gift, any gift at all, I think I'd wish I could do this every year. That'd be some gift, wouldn't it, Bert? Oh, sure would. God bless you, Bert, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you too, Santa. And to all a good night. Until next time.